0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast where we discuss all things GRC.
1: But also we've seen cases where boards probably do have the understanding so they've been presented with, you know, independent audit reports summarising the levels of compliance uh, against the AML regulations and high- highlighting you know, material deficiencies in those, and I've either decided you know, that they're comfortable with accepting those risks or not, and so, so often that kind of check and balance to actually look at the severity of addressing you know, vulnerabilities and gaps
0: um, often gets overlooked in a myriad of other um, commercial risks. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine. And today, once again, we have Anthony Quinn from Arctic Intelligence. Hi, Anthony. How are you? Good, Kwame. Thanks for having me along. So I think last time we spoke, um, we sort of looked at, I guess, defendability. And, you know, the core issue of AML programs just not having the... You know, from that risk assessment, that's f- not great risk assessment to begin with, that sort of filters into just poor AML compliance programs in general. But I think one of the topics that you wanted to address um, for, I guess, the first of 2020 is governance and that connection to AML. And I think with a few events that have taken place um, in, I guess, in the recent past, we can kind of see how sort of critical that is in terms of forming, you know, a, a strong compliance program and AML compliance program. So I guess the first question is, Why governance? Why is that important? I
1: mean, I think you're totally right, the governance and oversight is critical to effective risk management and essentially governance and oversight really starts from the top. We hear that all the time, tone from the top, but really what that means in practice is that the board are really personally accountable for defining the risk appetite statement for the organisation. And what that means is that they're required to, you know, define what is really acceptable level of risk and also what is an unacceptable level of risk. And I guess in the abstract, if you ask most boards, you know, what their appetite to financial crime risks are, most might say, well, zero, we're not, we're not prepared to accept any risk. But that's obviously not really doable unless you're prepared to not have any customers or not have any accounts or, or, or no sort of transactions and transfers. So therefore, you know, you need to actually be able to to manage um, your risk appropriately and make sure that that is in line with the risk appetite. So that and that that really just puts the onus on organisations to really understand the risks that they might have. Like truly understand, well, what what could be the typical risks that my business might face. So, I risk identification. And then once they've really understood their risks, it's really around you know analysing them. You know. With the types of risks that their business might face, what you know, what are the likelihood and the impact of those um, risks were they to occur? And then, obviously, it's really around managing and mitigating and managing those risks. So, looking at you know, do you have controls in place to mitigate and manage those risks or not? If you do have controls in place, you know, what are they, and are they effective? You know, are they are they designed effectively? Are they operating effectively? And so once you've understood what your kind of residual risk is after you've mitigated controls you need to kind of check they need to check themselves from a governance and oversight perspective to ensure that you know is the organization doing enough to manage the risk that they have in line with the kind of the stated risk appetite statement and obviously it's not it's not something that just stands still you know businesses are changing all the time they're launching new products they're going into new markets they're acquiring businesses and so the the um, having a, a sound governance and oversight framework is really fundamental, and it's it should be comp- part of the organisation's DNA. Um, and, and it's often um, either overlooked or or not managed particularly well.
0: And I guess based on what you said, it, it's not entirely surprising when in recent enforcement action where we've seen APRA, who obviously is looking at governance from a different perspective, of course, is sort of following the Ostrich action with their own inquiries into um, what you know. To what extent is the sort of management and the board culpable for incidents that have taken place or failings in a program? Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I guess if we were to attempt to sort of break down um, these sort of governance issues into sort of specific themes that I guess people can grasp onto, uh, what would you? I mean, there's definitely
1: a theme in respect of the level of understanding that boards have, particularly around financial crime and AML risk in particular. Often, I mean, there's 14,700 businesses that are regulated in Australia, and often a lot of the focus goes just to the core, the core banks and and other major reporters. But obviously, there's a very diverse set of businesses that are impacted, Um, small, medium, and large uh, businesses, obviously. And what we find is that a lot of them either don't know enough about AML as a topic; um, they don't understand how criminals can use their businesses or their products or services to facilitate laundering money. Um, And a lot of them really lack the understanding of what their uh, obligations are and requirements are from a regulatory compliance perspective. Um, You know, they don't, a lot of boards we talk to still don't really understand that they're personally accountable for compliance failings. And that is, that's, so they're, they're, they're accountable, but generally, they can be Clueless, um, and that that is kind of an education um, re- requirement, really. Um, so, if the board are not really understanding their obligations or understanding their risks, you know, it, it begs the question: Well, how do they understand how to, you know, ask the right questions of their, you know, compliance staff or their teams to make sure that well, what are the risks are they being managed um, effectively? So, I think there's, there seems to be either a general Lack of understanding, um, but also we've seen cases where boards probably do have the understanding. So they've been presented with, you know, independent audit reports summarising the levels of compliance uh, against the AML regulations and hi- highlighting, you know, material deficiencies in those. And I've either decided. You know that they're comfortable with accepting those risks or not and so so often that, that kind of check and balance to actually look at the severity of addressing you know vulnerabilities and gaps um often gets overlooked in the myriad of other um commercial risks that businesses are are doing so that that's definitely definitely a theme i think i think really understanding and having a deep understanding of the risks um that the organization could face like really looking at well, who, who are my customers um, how do I service those customers what what are the characteristics of the products and services you know how you know what kind of typologies is my industry or my business facing mm. um, and having a really deep dive um, look at the risk assessment well all too often we find people you know it's an afterthought it's a tick- the-box exercise you know you often get called from people you know way after the horse has bolted Hey, I need to get a risk assessment. I need to do it within the next week because the um, the board are asking for it or the regulator are asking for it. I mean, it's like they've been regulated for ten or twelve years or more. Um, you know, this should be built into the fabric of um, of their of their compliance program, not just a uh, tick the box uh, and, and move on or copy and paste from a kind of a peer in the industry. So I think that people that, that definitely um, another theme and. and I guess the, the, the third theme is really around embedded risk management. And this kind of picks up on the tick box exercise. Everybody thinks, right, I need a risk assessment. I'm just going to do it. Tick the box. They might not revisit it for months or years or they may even not have a risk assessment in, in, or at all. And sometimes where they do, it, it's really a work of fiction because it starts to talk about risks that they don't have mm. or controls that they don't have. Um, so, that's really not worth the paper it's printed on if you've got a, a risk assessment um, that is not, not really relevant or, or pertinent to the, to the business in question. And I think the actual change management of risk is, is at the core of this because, as I said before, things don't just stand still. This is a constantly evolving um, piece, you know, threats are changing all the time, typologies are changing all the time, regulations are changing all the time. You know the the business um, businesses themselves are changing all the time. So, you know it's not just a one you know one stop tick the box and move and move on. It's it needs to be foundational and embedded into the DNA of the of the organisation. Um, and that really does start at the start at the top. You know setting the tone. You know outlining what is acceptable or what's not expect- acceptable. And then really res- you know providing the The functions with sufficient resources to be able to mitigate and manage it so if there are gaps or there are vulnerabilities actually empowering the organization by giving it the right level of resources to to address it so i think that they're the key themes that i'd see
0: It's interesting because, of course, hearing you say that, even though we are specifically speaking about sort of AML risk and compliance regimes, I think those that kind of philosophy and that approach can be applied really to any sort of any kind of risk and compliance regime. Exactly. Um, So you know, obviously, we've seen Oztrak. taking a more, I guess, proactive approach, um, not just in an enforcement sense, but we're seeing a bit more information coming out from them. They've been doing road shows and there's little education pieces. So do you think, you know, combined with the enforcement and all the other bits of communications that they've been putting out, do you think this if it's not having an effect yet will start to have an effect on how governance and aml works together for institutions i mean you certainly hope
1: so and like you've got to commend austrac for what they are doing i mean they've got a very good websites stack full of information they've got lots of videos on you know risk management and you know they're, they're constantly publishing you know industry guidance and uh, blogs and you know, doing a lot of kind of industry outreach through, not just through the Fintel Alliance, but industry specific uh, outreach. So I think the lack of compliance is not generally to do with, um, you know, the efforts um, or or the understanding, it's about the the level of care. And I think that even though we've seen some recent, you know, major issues, I do still feel across the broad sectors, that the level of uh, care is uh, is very low, and I think that's a consequence of a number of things. Really, one um, most you know, as I mentioned, there's fourteen thousand seven hundred businesses. You know, most of those organisations, um, you know, are small or medium sized businesses, and I think they have an impression that you know AUSTRAC are really only interested in the systemically important institutions so the major banks, you know some of the major gaming organizations and so on um, and that the likelihood of them you know receiving a visit or a letter um, is, is very unlikely. Um, and that certainly has been the case in the past um, and we've seen for some of our clients in New Zealand even very small, firms like lawyers or accountants, you know, within sort of six or 12 months of the regime coming in, a lot, of, like probably 10 or 20% of our client base in that, in that market um, were receiving letters from their regulators explain, you know, asking them to explain. And I think that um, ever since the annual compliance report came out last year, which was a lot more thorough than it has been in the past, and it's really given these organisations pause for thought. Around what um, they need to be doing, or, or are there are there gaps? And certainly, from the information that's being provided to to Oztrack, they're certainly starting to mine that information and actually start sending out kind of please explain letters to organisations. So I think that's ch- that's changing, but we're not really seeing a noticeable noticeable change in the market yet. There's obviously a flurry of activity. At the top end of town, where boards are concerned that they may have, you know, similar issues to those that we saw at the end of last year with with Westpac, um, but uh, typically across the the rest of the market, um, particularly in the small and medium-sized businesses sector, I think, you know, they're they're a long way behind, um, and are often, you know, it's a real knee-jerk reaction. People just would might phone us up and say. Hey, I, I haven't done a risk assessment in ten years, or I've mm. inherited one and I've just taken on a new role and I don't understand it. Um, it was copy and pasted from someone in the industry, you know, ten years ago, and it's not and it's, it's a work of fiction. And then they need to get one done like immediately. Um, and to me, that just seems that it's 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 just it's the wrong it's just the wrong approach. It needs to be, you know, really thought through, it needs to be embedded, and I think just, you know, t- trying to tick the box because you've got you know, a monkey on your back is not really a good starting point for effective risk uh, risk management. So,
0: well, And it's interesting you say that. Um, I, I had a conversation, which will be turned into an article for the February edition, with Andrew Ham from AML Experts, and he was talking about the annual compliance report as well. And he had a concern that people were filling out reports, um, but not based on, I guess, fully factual risk assessments therefore ending up with works of fiction in those reports but then of course our will use these reports and if something happens in your organization they will sort of retroactively Mm. look at what you said you have in your compliance program versus what's actually happened over here and I guess people are potentially setting themselves up for trouble in the future if they're not um, well I mean the
1: the the mind boggles to be honest with you because um, obviously the legislation is a risk-based approach Mm. and there is some guidance and that's fine but there's no real, you know, commonly accepted standard for assessing risk. You know, what types of things should businesses consider when they're assessing customer risk, and how does customer risk relate to product risk, and how does, you know, what types of um, risk factors need to be considered when looking at certain types of products or channel? You know, so there's so there's a lot of guidance, but there's there's we're very far from having at least a common um, denominator in terms of risk management. And so my concern really is where you've got 14,700 businesses all adopting a risk-based approach, is you, you could end up with 14,700 different approaches to risk management, and that will be compounded, obviously, by the time tranche two comes into effect. Um, and, and essentially, by having an, an uncommon standard, there's no real means of being able to mine data or actually get some good decent uh, information around like peer group profiling. So if I'm an investment management company in this industry of this size, with this type of customer base, you know, with these types of products, um, with these types of controls, with these types of channels and geographic risk exposure, you know, how, how do I um, – am, am I in line with my peers? Am I out of line with my peers? And so, so I think we're missing a trick by being, um, you know, I agree you can't be you can't be prescriptive you can't endorse stuff but I think you know there's a common set of uh, risk models that could be developed um, that could be um, developed alongside the regulators for industry specific uh, with input from industry Um, and I think that would go a long way to actually maturing uh, the level of uh, understanding of of risk management in this country
0: right right. well uh, I guess on that same theme again um, you know we spoke about the good work that Oztrac has been doing in the past um, but I guess, is there an argument for, I guess, the approach that Austrack has been taking in the sense that Ostrak might be all friendly, you know, because Austrack has been trying to build this sort of partnership with the their reporting entities. And there was a kind of a comment I've heard in the past where there's a suggestion that maybe the way Ostrak has put for their position, like if we go back to the compliance report again, that they haven't really stressed the significance and the importance of getting that compliance report right and the potential Implications that it has.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'd like to see the um, the data published. You know, not specifically around com- companies, but you know, how many companies have not done a risk assessment or not done one mm-hmm. in the last five years? How many companies have been had an independent audit done or not? You know, how many people have did it themselves versus use somebody that is a domain expert in this space? Um, and all the other questions that are, that are in that annual compliance report, I think that is a really good pulse check on the, on the level of maturity of the market. And I think it would be very telling in terms of um, our experience from you know, the bottom up in terms of engaging with different regulated uh, entities. Um, but just seeing that um, holistic perspective from the market, because I think um, we get a sense that the level of maturity is very low and the level of understanding generally is, is pretty poor. Um, and I think that those findings would help to really lay out the roadmap for just how far we have to go until we're in line with our, with our international peers.
0: Right. Well, down to the last question now, and I guess it's you know, back to that advice piece really. Um, what advice do you have for risk and compliance professionals who are trying to get the organisation to understand the importance between governance and those sort of AML risk and compliance programmes? Well, i mean the
1: f- the first thing is you know congratulations for picking risk and compliance as a <laughs> career because probably ten years ago there I when mean, a lot of people got in it's not you know yeah you know, a lot of people um, you know downplay the importance of risk and compliance, but we've seen that com- clearly kind of elevated as a as a as a profession um and the need i think for risk and compliance skills and experience um has never been has never been greater i think um I mean, my, my experience um, really is that a lot of risk management can be quite theoretical um, and bogged down in language, you know, likelihood and impact, inherent risk residual risk and control effectiveness and, and what have you. So I think when trying to articulate that as a risk professional to, to, to a board, um, I think risk professionals need to start thinking about, you know, these things in sort of practical layman's terms around risk and give examples of of how, you know, there might be threats in the industry or international guidance that's coming out or lessons learned from uh, enforcement action or other cases and really be able to distill that message, you know, loud and clear to to the board and to senior management to make sure that, you know, they really have a good understanding of, of risk management. I think often we find, particularly in sort of small, smaller organisations, that you know the the MLRO or the money laundering reporting officer often is you know can be quite junior, doesn't really have a line of um, authority to the board, um, not really uh, have got the ability to really influence you know the board in terms of making decisions or allocating resources. So I think that's a really um, challenging. Um, time for risk and compliance professionals, and that I think is is compounded, particularly in Australia, where there has been an absolute lack of enforcement activity for over a decade. And so, a lot of organisations, when they're you know people are looking for for funding for projects, you know, it's like, well, what's the likelihood of me getting caught? Mm. If I get caught, you know, what's my what are the consequences? And so, it's very hard, you know, sitting inside those businesses saying, well. Actually, there's no examples of a business that's in the credit union space or the gaming space or whatever that has ever been taken to task or, or ever be held to account. And so therefore, where you're going to you know, look for budget or look for you know, resources that you need, often you know, there's a million other business priorities that, that come, come ahead of that. So I think you know, that, that, um, that the importance of risk management, I don't think, is properly understood in Australia. When we talk to um, clients in the US and in Canada and in the UK that have had very, um, I guess, I guess uh, aggressive regulation or long-standing regulation, and you've, they've seen some of the headlines that we we're only really just sort of seeing in in Australia and all the impact that it has on on boards and share price and you know all those types of things, it's like it's it's new it's new here, and so when you start to talk around the importance of risk management, you almost having to sell the concept of you know why is it a good idea to understand your risk why is it a good idea to mitigate and manage your risk whereas you you talk to people in other jurisdictions you don't really have to sell that they get it they understand it so i think that's a real real a real challenge and then probably the last thing i would say on this is that you know if if the risk and compliance professionals are, are unable to really Convince their management of the risks that they have, or the resources that they need to mitigate and manage it. I mean, ultimately, they need to, you know, have some kind of integrity over their their role. So, if I'm hired as an MLRO and the board don't care, or I'm not given the resources that I need to manage the the risk properly, you know, like I'm, if I accept that for so long. You know after i've tried to change it you're almost as culpable as 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 um as them if things go wrong so i think those that have you know tried to make changes in organizations but have not really they've kind of fallen on deaf ears you know i think that that they've shown a lot of integrity by saying okay well you know that's this is too too great a risk for me to run and i just don't agree with what the way
0: that's being done and, and walking with their feet so Fair enough. Well, thank you very much for your time, Anthony. Thanks, Brian. And I think next podcast we'll be talking about risk assessment in 2020. This podcast was a production of the Governance, Risk and Compliance Institute. And the music was produced by Rob Neary.